0: Back last fall, several of us on ministerial staff sat down in one of our offices and began to just think about where we wanted to go this year as far as our sermon series are concerned. One of the things you may have noticed about me is I enjoy planning a series of lessons out a year in advance if that's possible. Now, I know a lot of preachers who don't do that. I know a lot of preachers who on Saturday night before Sunday morning are still trying to figure out what they're going to preach. I've known of preachers who literally would pick a sermon outline out in the office Sunday morning, put it in their Bible, and then head to the auditorium in order to preach. I I don't like to do it that way. I like to just kind of lay it out, think it out, uh, work with other ministers to kind of flesh out where do we need to go as a church. And so last fall, we sat down in one of the offices, and this is literally a picture from the bulletin board. And we started jotting down words that described what we were going through at the time in 2020. Now, it just so happened we got hung on words that started with the letter D. Notice some of the words up there. Dark, discouraged, disaster, distanced, despair, disconnected, disoriented, deflated. And then, of course, the new word, social distance. I mean, that's become a word that's part of our vocabulary now. And and as we thought about where we were And where we wanted to go in 2021, one thing was for certain, and that is we wanted to move. Another picture from our bulletin board here. John Micah was up there writing these words down, and he said, you know what, I love this word move because it really states what we want to do in 2021. We want to move from a year that's been so discouraging and distanced to a year that is exciting and, and and is advancing in what God is trying to do in the world. Now, let me say something about that. Even though this has been a difficult, this past year, a difficult world for us, God was still active. Don't think for one second God wasn't still moving. And so what we decided to do is let's just simply move with God in 2021. You know, you, you open your Bible up, and you find God is a God of movement. Genesis 12, in fact, this past year, it was one of our memory verses, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. This is Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go. Go from your country, your people, your father's household. God said basically to Abram, I'm doing something, I'm moving, and I want you to move with me. You turn over to the book of Deuteronomy. The Israelites are at Mount Sinai. God's been giving them the law. And Moses tells them something God said after they had been there for a while. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you've stayed long enough at this mountain break camp and advance. It's time to move. And then I love this one out of Joshua chapter 3, verse 3. The Israelites had finally come to the Jordan River. They're fixing to cross over into the Promised Land. Joshua is now the leader. Moses had died. And I love what Joshua says to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move. I mean, the whole picture here is they take the Ark of the Covenant. The Jordan River is in flood stage. It's like, no way we're going to get across this river and Joshua said, just watch what God is fixing to do. And the priests take the Ark of the Covenant, they walk over to the Jordan River, and the minute they set foot into the water, the waters begin to part, pile up on one side, go dry on the other side, and the Israelites moved across the Jordan River. Ezra chapter 1, years later, I mean hundreds of years later, Israel's now in exile. I mean, Judah has gone into Babylonian captivity. And God, once again, is on the move. And this is Ezra chapter 1. Here is a decree from Cyrus. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And it doesn't take very long for you to realize that God is a God of action. And so this year, what we're going to do is focus on the the whole basic theme of move. But we're going to divide the year up into thirds. The first third of the year, we're going to look at the life of David. David was one who, I mean, the Bible just says a ton about him. We know more about his life than probably anybody else in the Old Testament. And he was constantly on the move. And we're going to look at how God moved in his life, maybe as a way of learning how God moves in our life. We'll follow that up with how Jesus moved in the lives of people he encountered to lead them where they needed to be. And then in the fall, we'll turn our attention to the book of Romans. As we look at Paul, as he says, can I show you how to move from fear through faith into freedom? And we'll just kind of spend some time summarizing this wonderful epistle of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, one of the things you discover very quickly is how much of it is dedicated to the life of David. Notice up here on the screen, 66 chapters. I mean, that's just hard to believe. 66 chapters of the Old Testament are devoted to the life of David, not counting the fact that he wrote 73 of the songs in the book of Psalms. I want you to think about that. 150 songs in their songbook, David wrote 73 of them. And so not only do we have an enormous amount of material about David, we have an enormous amount of material from David. And so we're going to be looking at both of those over the next several months as we look at how God moved in David's life and I think illustrates how God moves in ours as well. David is how you pronounce it in Hebrew. Still one of the most popular names in in the world today. It literally means beloved. What a beautiful, beautiful name. You know, most names mean something. We don't pay attention to that anymore today. I wish we did. You know, if we did, we probably wouldn't name people what we named them. You know, David, beloved, is a beautiful name. I, I still remember, and, and, and if your name is this, I apologize. I'm not trying to be in any way ugly. But I remember a dear friend naming their son Caleb. You know, the name of one of the spies who went in and said, we can take the land along with Joshua. And, and Caleb sounds beautiful in English. It's just that Caleb in Hebrew means dog. And you're like, you're naming your kid Dog. And you're like, well, you know, don't tell anybody that. Okay, we'll keep that a secret, you know. And then, of course, my parents came along and wanted to name me Leslie. And and to this day, I don't know what mom or dad were drinking. They normally didn't drink. I don't know what they were drinking that day. But, but, you know, Leslie is is an interesting name. Any name with Lee in the end, L-E-Y or L-E-I-E, simply means a meadow, kind of a forested area. And so you have Wesley. It's a Western Meadow. You have Stanley. It's a Grand Meadow. And then you have Leslie, a small little bitty meadow. You know. And I'm like, really? That's the name you want to give me? You know. But David means beloved. And just out of curiosity, anybody's name in here, David? Anybody have that as a name? Would you raise? Okay. We, we've got we've got at least two. I mean, just think about that. That name came from 3,000 years ago when Jesse decided to name his youngest son Beloved. And what a beautiful name it is. Now, just a little bit about the background as to when David lived. David lived, a good way to kind of put him in chronology is 1,000 B.C. Here we are in 2021 A.D., which means that David lived about 3,000 years ago. And, and David was living in a time when Israel was going through a transition. Israel had come into the land of, of Canaan. They had taken over the land. They had divided up the land. But Israel for several hundred years, a couple of hundred years, was very much like the United Colonies right after the Revolutionary War. You know, when we declared our independence from e- England, we were not the United States. We were the separated colonies, all right? I mean, we had colonies, Virginia, you had Pennsylvania, you had New York, you had Massachusetts, you had Georgia, you had all of these independent colonies, and it would be a while before they became the United States of America. And the same was true of Israel. When Israel went into the land, they were 12 different tribes, each having a little portion of what had been Canaan. And and for a while, they existed like that, simply as tribes. And any time they needed help, God would raise up a judge. We have a whole book in the Old Testament called Judges, which is about God raising up these individuals who had helped Israel in their difficult times. The last one was a man by the name of Samuel. And, And the text in 1 Samuel simply says that when he had grown old, he appointed his sons, the NIV says, as leaders, It's kind of like judges, except not appointed by God, appointed by Samuel himself. But the only problem is is that his sons were no good. Even though Samuel was an incredibly godly and righteous man, his sons had turned aside from the way that he had raised them up. And so Israel had basically come to to Samuel and said, listen, we want a king. We, We don't want your sons. Your sons are dishonest. Now, this is from Paul's record of it in Acts chapter 13. As Paul is preaching one of his sermons, he's retelling the story of Israel. And I like the way he tells it. Give us a king like all the other nations around us. We want to be like them. And so God responds to it. In fact, he says to Samuel, listen, listen to the people. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. You see, anybody who reads the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis. If you'll go to the last couple of chapters of Genesis, you have basically Jacob's prophecy regarding his 12 sons. And among the prophecies of Jacob, one of the great patriarchs, is that the scepter, the leadership of Israel as a people, would never depart from Judah, from the tribe of Judah. Now, that should have been a red flag. But unfortunately, it wasn't. They weren't paying attention to it. And so if you'll notice what Paul goes on to say, then the people asked for a king, and he, God, gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, if you've been on Jeopardy, all at once, you would like, nah, incorrect answer. You know, you, you don't come from the tribe of Benjamin. But you need to understand what's going on. God's not the one choosing this king. I mean, he's doing it secondarily, but it's the king that the people want. They're the ones who demanded a king. And God basically said to Samuel, give them who they want. And his name is Saul. His father's name was Kish. And here's what's amazing about him. I want you to look at what the text says about him. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. Wow. I mean, now that is a, you know, incredible description. You know, when you're in high school, I don't know if y'all had superlatives in the high school you attended, but we had superlatives, which meant, you know, here was the smartest, here was the most athletic, here was the most handsome or prettiest girl. You know, I mean, you went through all of those superlatives. Well, in Saul's high school, guess what? He's voted most handsome, and not just of his high school, but all of Israel. And then on top of that, notice what it says. And he was a head taller than anyone else. I would ask Joe McConnell to stand up right now to illustrate. If y'all don't know how tall Joe is, when Joe stands up, I come up right to his belt. All right? I mean, he's, I mean Joe is one tall person. And tall people like Joe. Joe's the only person who comes into my office, and when he comes into my office, y'all, he has to duck to go under the top of the door, okay? Duck. I could put a half door in my office and still not have to duck, okay? I mean, that's just how short I am. And and so here's Saul, and what is Saul? Saul's this incredibly tall guy. And so God gives them someone who looked like a king, who had every appearance of a king. And he reigned in uh, Israel for 40 years, Now, here's what's interesting about that. He'd been reigning in Israel about 10 years when David is finally born. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. When when Saul became king, God wanted him to succeed. Even though he was from the wrong tribe, God never wants people to be failures. And, and so God gave him help. Notice the text here. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. In other words, God gave the Holy Spirit to Saul. Is one of the realities of the Old Testament. God wanted him to be powerful. But one of the things we need to understand about the Spirit of God is that the Spirit of God, which comes upon all of us who obey the gospel, Acts 2.38 says that if you repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus, not only are your sins forgiven, but you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful, beautiful text. But here's the thing we need to understand about the Spirit of God. Why it has the incredible ability to empower us. It doesn't override our will. The gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't stop me from being me. And it didn't stop Saul from being Saul, because while on the outside he looked fantastic, on the inside he very quickly decided, you know what, I'm king of Israel, look at me. And the end result was that God came to him after several failures in his reign and said, your kingdom is not going to endure. In fact, Samuel says God has torn it away from you. You go back to this text right here from 1 Samuel 13. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And notice the text there, and appointed him. Appointed him? Well, not yet, but in reality, yes. I mean, it would be some time before David is actually anointed. But God had already chosen him. In fact, God had chosen him going all the way back to Jacob from the tribe of Judah. You see, one of the things that I love about the story of David is that God had been on the move for years before Saul's rejection preparing the man he wanted to be king over, Israel. You know, if you learn your books of the Bible, when I was a kid growing up, we would learn our books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament was really easy. We sang sang a song. I mean, how many of y'all y'all know the song? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts and the Letter to the Romans. You know, you just learn the song and you got it. Old Testament wasn't always that easy. There was a song I just couldn't learn the song, and so I had to memorize the Old Testament just from rote memory. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First, Samuel, First, Kings. You start going through that list of Old Testament books, and one of the things that's fascinating is you get to Joshua, Judges. And then all at once you come to a little book called Ruth. And and, and Ruth just kind of stands out as an odd little book. Why is the book of Ruth before the book of 1 Samuel? I mean, yes, chronologically it belongs there, but something else is going on in the text. You know the story of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess. Uh, She marries into the tribe of Judah. Uh, They weren't supposed to do that, but, but... her husband took her as a wife her husband dies she decides to go back with Naomi to Judah after a terrible famine had been in the land Ruth is the one that when Naomi said you need to go back to your people you need to marry among your people you have this beautiful text in Ruth 1 16 and 17 don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. And then she calls upon the name of the Lord. By the way, this was June's wedding vows to me when we got married many, many years ago. They're special to me. Well, this little book is, though, not about Ruth. This little book is not really about Boaz. Oftentimes we think that's what's going on here. This book's actually about God starting to work years and years and years before David is even conceived by his parents. God is already at work to bring about the man he wants to rule over his people. You see, Ruth is David's great-grandmother. Why don't you think about that for a second? And so here's God at work already. You know, when I think about maybe my life or your life, where's God been working? What's God been doing in your life, in your parents' life, in your grandparents' life, in your great-grandparents' life? Hugh came home one day. Mary was there at the house, and he said to Mary, he said, Mary, I heard a preacher today preach closer to the Bible than anyone I've ever heard. I want us to go back tonight and hear him preach. And so Hugh and Mary went back and heard the man preach. And at some point that week, they were baptized into Christ. Before long, there was a little church set up in that community. It was called the Chapman Church of Christ. When they appointed their first elders, they appointed a man by the name of Ralph Chapman. And he had become one of the first elders of that particular church. 1951, that church would hold a gospel meeting. And another man by the name of L.H. Chapman and his wife Bonnie would come forward during that gospel meeting and be baptized into Christ. Why do I tell the story? Because that last couple was my mom and dad. That man named Ralph was my grandfather. That man named Hugh and Mary were my great-grandparents. You see, I believe in God working in people's lives to bring about things in their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren's lives. And I think that was what was going on here. Here's David, the eighth son of Jesse. He had at least two sisters. Now, 1 Samuel says that there were seven sons or eight sons. 1 Chronicles says there were seven. And sometimes people will say, well, the Bible's contradicting itself. No, very likely Chronicles leaves out one of the sons who had no descendants. Chronicles is very much about Genealogies, And so if you didn't have any kids, you probably were left out, which is probably the case here. But, but David is the last of the boys. And I don't know if you're the last of the kids in your family. I'm number two out of four. Okay, I'm not the last. But being number two, I know what it's like to live with hand-me-downs. Being number two, I know what it's like to have to deal with issues. You know, I mean, when you think about David being the youngest kid in a large family there in Bethlehem, a family that had probably a fairly large farm. They had cattle. They had sheep. They had goats. They had oxen. They had the farmland that they needed to plant and to sow and to reap. All of this stuff going on. And the job that no one wanted was that of taking care of the sheep and the goats. And that would always fall to the one who was old enough to be able to do it, but young enough because nobody else wanted to do it. Do y'all remember that when you were in your family? My mother grew up, and when my mother was nine, her mother died of leukemia, my maternal grandmother. And so mom ended up having to kind of take on some really heavy responsibilities at the age of nine. And one of those responsibilities was house cleaning. In particular, washing dishes. Mom washed dishes from nine on until she finally, you know, got married and then started having kids. And when my older brother got old enough to wash dishes, guess what my mom did? She quit washing dishes. And it was my older brother's responsibility until I got old enough to wash dishes. And then I started washing dishes. Now, some of y'all are thinking, why didn't y'all get a dishwasher? We did! It wasn't Kenmore? it wasn't Maytag, it was Leslie. I was the dishwasher. David was the sheep, the shepherd, the boy who took care of the, the sheep and the goats. And yet, out of that, and, and by the way, this is the landscape around Bethlehem, very rugged. This is springtime. In the summer, it would get very dry and you'd have to hunt for pasture land. But from this culture, God shaped this young man and I want to just real quick, three things God did as he moved in David's life as a shepherd. Number one, he taught him about life as a shepherd. You turn over to Psalm 78. God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pen. Notice the text there. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And look at verse 72. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. The lessons he learned for five or six or seven years out in the fields with the sheep are the lessons he took to the very throne of Israel itself. God was working in all of those moments to teach them how do you care for, how do you watch out over, how do you count to make sure all of them is there. You think about all the lessons a shepherd learned, David learned. And he lived it out for the rest of his life. I love those last phrases there. Integrity of hard and skillful hands. All learned in the pastures around Bethlehem. And so my question is this. What has God been teaching you? What has he been working on you to do through your experiences in life? And if you don't realize he's working on you, you've just really missed a major point of what God is doing. Number two, he learned about courage. You know, it wasn't long after he would be anointed that he'd go up against the giant Goliath. And I don't know if you've ever thought about how in the world did this teenage boy have the courage to go up against a giant warrior like Goliath. And the answer is real simple. When he went to Saul, he said, you know, king, can I just tell you what God's done in my life? As a shepherd taking care of the sheep, there was at least one occasion each when a lion and a bear tried to take some of the sheep. And David said, guess what I did? I took them on. When that bear came and grabbed that lamb, I went after the bear and grabbed him. When the lion came, y'all, a lion. I want you to think about this for a moment. A lion came and got a sheep. What does David do? He goes, he somehow gets the sheep out of the mouth of the lion. The lion turns on him and he says, I grabbed it by the mane and I showed it who was boss. We should let that sink in. I mean, when you think about somebody who can do that, what's a philistine warrior? I mean, and and of course David's point is he's nobody. I mean, it it wasn't that he developed courage when he walked out on that field. God had worked in him to train him about courage out in the shepherd's field, and so Goliath was a nobody to him. And so, let me go back just real quick. Can I ask you this question? And that is, what Goliath do you need to tackle in your life? And then finally, the third lesson is these gifts of music and words. Like I said a while ago, he wrote beautiful songs. He learned how to play the lyre. I mean, you can see him on days as the sheep are out there and they're grazing. And and what is David doing? He's looking at nature and he's learning how to play the lyre. And he's composing songs all at the same time. Songs that would transform my life and your life. I mean, 1 Chronicles says that when he became king, he set up worship at the tabernacle with choirs and with all of these beautiful bands to to sing praises to God. And now 3,000 years later, we walk out into the night skies. And if you've been to church and if you've read the Psalms, you can't help but look up and say, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. 3,000 years later, his words are still shaping my life and shaping yours. And so we're going to look at the gifts that God has given us as well this year. And simply ask, what has God been doing in our lives as well as the life of this church to shape us into who God wants us to be. And I hope we'll be it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for moving in our lives. Father, for beginning not just when we were born, but Father, even way before we were born. Shaping our parents, our grandparents, Father, for generations, Father, for us to be the people you've called us to be. But Father, help us to be like David, not like Saul, who God gave the opportunity, but who did not feel it, Father. Let us step up and, Father, accept the responsibility and be who you've called us to be. Oh, Father, help 2021 to be the best year ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.